freaks me out. <laughs> we, we had a Facebook, we put that on our Facebook page, on Brad Powell's Facebook page and Northridge Church's Facebook page, and someone wrote, those Damien eyes freak me out. <laughs> but they really do provide a perfect metaphor for the underlying point of the entire series we're kicking off this weekend called Plus Minus. And by putting those lenses ultimately over that last person's eyes, we're communicating the reality that in every moment, in every circumstance of life, how we experience it, what ultimately comes of it, whether it's a positive or a negative experience, is determined by the lens we put on our eyes. It's how we see it. You can put a positive lens on or you can put a negative lens on and it will change the way you see it, the way you experience it, what you do with it, the choices you make out of it. And it's so true. And every frame in that video bumper shows that in every circumstances there are opposite things happening in every one. And we have to put the right lens on our eyes, in our heart, if we're going to do right to turn the minuses of this world into the pluses that God ultimately intends. This series, I believe, is foundationally important in all of our lives as people, if we're going to experience life and fulfillment, and as believers, if we're going to genuinely follow Christ. But I can't just tell you that, because if I just tell you that, even if you believe me, even if I make it logical, it will just be me telling you. And so I thought the best way to kick off this series would be to get you to help process to the point. Because if I can get you to share the experience where you are ultimately saying, whoa, this is true, then you will want this information even more. And so here's how we're going to introduce the series. I'm going to ask you two questions and in so doing, we will process down to the foundational reality that we need to understand if we're going to ultimately live our lives in the right way. And here's the first question. What are the characteristics or the traits of the person or persons that you most admire? What are the characteristics or traits of the person that you most admire? Here's what you have to do. So first of all, picture the person. Or the persons. I mean, these people or this person that you absolutely admire, you hold in great regard, high esteem. Do you have that person in mind? Now, list some of the traits. And I gave you some space. You can write along the way on your outline uh, these traits. But I, I want us to work through this together. So this is going to be a public experience, a shared experience. So I'm going to ask you to play with me in this little uh, game because a shared experience requires what? Sharing. Okay, thank you very much. So, what are the traits, the characteristics that ultimately define the person or the people that you most admire? Just kind of shout them out. Okay, someone just said integrity. Integrity. What else? Kindness, someone said. Kindness. Shout out another one. Confidence. All right, awesome. Confidence. Shout out another one. Say it again. <laughs> Did someone say honesty? All right, I heard that. Patience, I heard. No, I don't want to put that one up there. I hate that one. I'm just kidding. I won't do that to you. <laughs> Seriously, I hate patience. Oh. 
Wisdom, I heard. Okay, I know there are a lot more than I'm writing, but um, it is harder to hear than you would imagine. So let me turn the page on those, and let's just get a couple more. Enthusiasm, someone said, I heard. That's awesome. I heard that one. Discipline. It's almost as bad as patience, isn't it? Did, did I hear someone say, like, compassion or love? Did someone say that? Yeah, someone said, did, I think I just made it up, but I don't know. Okay, <laughs> compassion. Okay, I, I think we have enough. Uh, I know there are many, 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 many more. Now, um, what I want us to do is ask a second question. Remember, we're sharing the experience to arrive at the truth. I'm not telling you what it is. You're kind of getting us there. The second question is this. What are these characteristics ultimately? Now, here's what I mean. You just listed for me the characteristics that define the people that you hold in the highest regard, that you esteem the most, that you respect the most, that you most admire, right? That's what you just did. Now let's determine, are these characteristics that make people admirable to you abilities or attitudes? Abilities or attitudes? Um, and remember, you know, an ability is an outward action, an outward behavior. It's driven by that. An attitude is an inward thing that motivates or compels outward action. All right? So ultimately, there's going to be outward action, but, but where does it begin? With an ability, with a talent, or within with an attitude? Integrity. Is it an attitude or an ability? Okay, we've got 10, 15 people playing. I love this. Um, <laughs> You guys didn't play well with other children when you were growing up, did you? It was like, had your own sandbox and let no one in it. Okay, so let's all participate. Kindness, is it an attitude or an ability? Attitude. It's an attitude, straight out. Confidence, attitude or ability? Attitude. attitude. Honesty, attitude or ability? Attitude. Patience, attitude or ability? Attitude. Now, I think it's an ability because I don't want to deal with it. Um, <laughs> Just, God didn't give me the gift of patience. It's got nothing to do with my attitude. All right, yeah, sure. Patience is definitely an attitude. Wisdom, attitude or ability? It stems from within. I mean, this is an attitude. No, knowledge is more of like a talent. Do I have a high IQ? Those kind of things. Can I process a lot of information? But wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. It's an internal deal. It's, it's, an, it's an attitude. All right, so let's turn the page on that. Enthusiasm, ability or attitude? For sure. Discipline? Attitude? Compassion? Everyone that you listed is an attitude. Now, this is interesting. It, it certainly bears out a point. And the point that it bears out is the fact that attitudes are vitally important. In fact, they ultimately determine whether we become people that others follow or not, whether we become people that others admire or not, whether we live lives of impact or not. Attitudes do. And yet, most of us discount, diminish the whole concept of attitude. Someone starts talking about attitude and we roll our eyes and we kind of turn them off because who wants to hear these dweebs talking about positive attitudes and attitudes? So we discount the whole thing. Now think about the problem with this. If attitudes are ultimately the foundation of becoming Everything we admire about people, it's a pretty dangerous thing to diminish them, to discount them, and to dismiss them from our lives. And yet this is what we do. And I have to tell you, I do it too. I roll my eyes too when I hear all this positive attitude stuff. 
And the reason is because people have so misused, misunderstood, and mistaught the issue of positive attitudes that it's become this thing that we just dismiss from our lives. They've really ruined one of the most valuable discussions we can have. They've made the discussions of attitudes worthless because of the way they've approached them. And I'll just give you a couple of examples. One of the things they do with positive attitudes is they turn them from these foundational characteristics that make us people of influence and impact into trite little cliches that become meaningless and irrelevant to our lives. I mean, much of the positive attitude junk in this world is trite, isn't it? It's trite. I'll give you a couple of examples. Ever heard anyone say, hey, just fake it till you make it? Let's spend about an hour meditating on that deep truth. Fake it till you make it. I mean, what a crock. Is there anything more superficial than that? Yeah, I'll give you another one. Fake joy is better than genuine depression. Think about that one for a minute. It's a positive attitude cliche. Fake joy is better than genuine. Really? You know what fake joy is? Anyone want to guess? It's fake. <laughs> you know what genuine depression is? Genuine. You don't battle the genuine with the fake. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. And yet this is what people do. They just put it on. You know, I'm depressed, but I'll put on joy, and that'll change my realities. No, it won't. So it's trite. So we dismiss it, rightly so, because many people lower the whole issue of attitudes to these trite little cliches that we're supposed to put on that have no relevance to reality. And so we dismiss it. But we just proved that attitude has everything to do with our reality. And yet we've dismissed it because people approach it wrong way. Another thing they do is they, they approach it disingenuously. Much of what deals with positive attitudes is disingenuous. And of course those cliches said it. Fake joy, fake it till you make it. Nothing more disingenuous than faking. But it gets worse than that because a lot of people teach positive attitudes this way. Even if you don't feel it within, even if it's not real within, even if it's not characteristic of who you are, you put it on. Now that's just teaching them to be inauthentic. It becomes a technique or a formula that we put on and manufacture in order to manipulate other people to get what we want. They teach it in business. They teach it in sales. They teach it in all kinds of arenas of life, even in ministry training sometimes. It's ridiculous. Even if it's not representative of who you really are, put it on. I'll give you an example. This is what they do. They say, if you really want to connect to a person and you really want to move them in your direction, then even if you don't feel it, even if you don't mean it, even if it's not real, you pretend you care about them. And so you look them in the eye and you engage them as if you do care, even if you don't. And then, and then you try and find something that they value in life. You can look around their office and if they've got sports trophies, then you talk about sports. If they have, you know, fish on the wall, then you talk about fishing. Um, <laughs> it, it, whatever it is, you know. And you talk about that, not because you care, not because it's real, but because you want something from them. And you literally are trying to manipulate out of them what you want. If you want a cliche, and I know it's just a cliche, it's not true of everyone, but the great cliche for this would be the, the normal view of a used car salesperson. Someone who doesn't really care about you at all, they just care about themselves. And so they're deceitful, they're manipulative, they'll say anything they need to say to get there. That's how many people approach positive attitudes. But that's wrong. I believe the evil one has ultimately allowed us to view 
attitudes through this negative lens so that we won't deal with the issues that are ultimately going to lead us to the lives that we all admire and want to live. So we've got to deal in this. And this is exactly what this series, Plus Minus, is all about. It's about dealing with the inside attitudes of our lives. Our attitudes are important. Now, I want to give you some observations as we move on to this thing. The very first observation about attitudes. Now that you realize, boy, this is important. I need to deal with the internal realities of my life. Not just the outside, but the inside. If I'm going to become everything I want to become, if I'm going to become a person of influence and impact, we have to deal with it. So here are some observations about attitude. The first one, attitudes are not a superficial issue. Attitude is not a superficial issue. Now, I've already covered that pretty well, I think. It's not a surface issue. It's an inside issue. Second thing I want you to see, attitude is a character issue. Attitude is a character issue. It's an issue of character. And I mean, we can go all the way through this, but I, I just, let's let Jesus do the talking here. And I want you to know, I'm going to try and prove my point. I'm going to try and get you to share the, the arriving at a point, and we can logically progress through all kinds of things. But when it boils right down to it, we better make sure that Jesus said it, that the Bible says it, or who cares if it's logical to us, right? And so what does Jesus say? Look at Mark chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. For from within. Now, I, I want you to... Say that one word with me. For from where? It's an inside thing. He's now dealing with our makeup inside. The attitudinal realities of our life. He says, for from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts. The things that we don't respect, the things that we hate, the things that we despise, the contrary question to what we asked earlier. It's from within, out of men's hearts, come these evil thoughts like sexual perversion, immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils, they don't come from outside. They come from inside, and they make a person unclean. So in reality, if you think about it, the way most people teach and practice positive attitudes aren't positive at all, they're destructive and negative because they're talking about fabricating a reality on the outside that's not representative of the reality on the inside. What is it? That, that's it's an evil thing. It's dishonest. It's not integrity. It's not kind. It's not honest. It's not wise. And yet, this is how they teach positive attitudes. The, the positive attitudes, as they're being taught today, are actually destroying us. It's wrong. Attitude is a character issue. And who we are on the inside is ultimately going to determine who we are on the outside. It's a big issue. We can't dismiss it. There's another reality that you need to see, another observation about attitudes. The attitude deal determines ultimately the quality of our life because the quality of my attitudes determines the quality of my life. Now, this isn't something I'm making up. This is reality. And once again, I, I, I want to show you Jesus saying this straight up. Look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. What's he saying? The quality of my internal makeup the quality of my attitudes, my inside perspectives, my inside views, my inside traits, 
is what determines the quality of my life. If it's good stuff going on in there, good stuff's going to come out here. If it's bad stuff going around in there, bad stuff's going to come out here. The quality of my attitudes determine the quality of your life. Let me ask you, how's the quality of your life been lately? Oh, I know we like blaming the, the government, the president. We like blaming our bosses and, and our corporations. And we like blaming our parents. <sighs> and we like blaming our friends. And we like blaming the kind. We like blaming everything in the world. But the quality of our lives are ultimately determined not by what happens to us, not by the circumstances, not by the things we're dealing with, but, but what's happening inside of us, the quality of our attitudes. How's the quality of your life these days? I mean, we have to take ownership over this thing. Who do you admire most? You already told me it's the person who has the right kind of attitudes. So, how you doing in this score? This is a big deal. Think about what this means. It means the quality of my marriage is determined by the quality of my attitudes. Not by how great my wife is treating me. The quality of my vocational experience is determined more by my attitude than by anything else. We like blaming our teams and we like blaming our this and our environments, but the quality of my vocational experience is basically determined within me, within you. This now puts a little perspective on what I'm experiencing in life. This is a big deal. The series we're looking at is addressing the very issues that drive our life that more often than not we're dismissing and not viewing the issue of who we are on the inside, the attitude issues. Let me give you one last observation. Attitude determines whether we experience life as an ultimate plus or an ultimate minus. Attitude really determines it. Am I experiencing life as a plus? Now this doesn't mean attitude determines that I only experience positive things because that's ridiculous. That, that's, that's made up. That's, that's manufactured motivational talk. It's, it's, it's a lie from the pit. Whether it's heard in church or in some corporate seminar, it's a lie. Your attitude will not change all of your circumstances. Bad things happen to good people. Happy people get hurt. Attitude doesn't change the fact that we get sick, that we get fired, that, that the government, you know, helps us or hurt. It doesn't change any of that. But attitude determines whether in the midst of all that I experience in life, the good and the bad, I experience life as an ultimate plus or an ultimate minus. Let me ask you, are you experiencing life as a plus or a minus? It's determined by you, inside, by what's going on there. Let me prove it to you biblically again. James chapter 1. And earlier I said, attitude's not a superficial issue, but let me tell you one more thing it is. It's a theological issue. We're going to see in this series that, that the issue of the internal makeup of our lives, the attitudes that we hold on to and we form inside our lives are absolutely related to everything Jesus talked about ultimately because he talked about within. Look at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. The Bible says, consider it pure joy. Now, I'm going to stop there. If I was going to finish that statement, I'd say, consider it pure joy when all your dreams come true. Wouldn't you? I mean, that's what comes naturally. I mean, consider it pure joy when all your dreams come true. Absolutely. Consider it pure joy when everything you ask God for, he gives you. That's a God made in my own image right there, giving me everything I want. 
Consider it pure joy when God's will is your will. Woohoo! That's how I'd finish this. And by the way, because I like that idea so much, my Bible's being published next year for your enjoyment. <laughs> the only problem is, it's not based in reality. Here, here's what God truly says Consider it pure joy, my brothers, those of you who truly know me and follow me. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. When life is falling apart, when your dreams are being dashed against the rocks of reality, when all of your expectations are falling short and not being achieved, consider it joy. Consider it joy when people aren't loving you as they ought, but they're rejecting you, hurting you, dismissing you, discounting you. Consider it all joy when you face the darkness of life, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, perseverance then finishes its work so that you ultimately become what you most admire, mature and complete, lacking nothing. Where you're not looking for the circumstances of life to complete you, but you're complete no matter what the circumstances of life are. I'm telling you, the quality of our attitude ultimately determines whether we experience life as a plus or a minus. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Earlier we said compassion, love, is an attitude. It begins on the outside. It ultimately determines some actions on the outside. But it, it's, it's an inside attitude issue, right? Love. Saying for all of you who have the internal makeup that in spite of what you might be experiencing, in spite of the shadows, in spite of the hurts, in spite of the brokenness, in spite of all the bad things going on in this world, you still see me through a lens of love, that I love you, that I care about you, that I'm good and not bad. For those of you who live life that way, even the worst of things, I can turn around and make pluses out of them. Begins in the attitude. If we want to experience life as a plus instead of as a minus, we have to deal with our attitude. And that's what this series is about. Please invest yourself in this. Please invite others, because this is the foundation of where we stand as people. Let me give you the definition of attitude, because it's always important to have a definition. And I, I need you to know, I didn't look at this up in Webster's Dictionary. The guy's been dead a couple hundred years or something. I don't care what he says. So, I, I, you know, I made up my own definition for the word. Um, and this is kind of how I do life. If I don't like how you define a word, I just redefine it and then live my life. It's kind of interesting. So, but you need to know if you're going to benefit at all from, from this teaching, what I'm defining attitude as. And I believe it's a biblical definition. Our attitude is ultimately our internal outlook. The attitude that we have, it's our internal outlook. It's our internal makeup. It's, it's the internal lens through which we see everything. It's our internal lens through which we see and then respond to the people and to the circumstances of our lives. And so it's this internal makeup and outlook and lens. You got it? Now I'm going to get you to the truth of this weekend's talk. And I have to warn you because this truth is going to create tension in your life. It did in mine. This truth is going to create tension here with us listening, whether it's in Plymouth or Ann Arbor Selene or Brighton Hall or even Church Online, it's going to create tension because it just sounds wrong. And yet, it's the truth. Here's the truth. The Christian life is in essence 
an attitude. The Christian life is in essence, at its core, an attitude. Now doesn't that just jack you the wrong way a little bit? No, it's not. It's a reality. I mean, Jesus is real. God is real. The Christian life is real. It, it has real effect on our behavior. Yes, it does. Just as integrity does, kindness does, confidence does, honesty does, patience does, and wisdom does. The reason we admire these people is because they're such profound people. But what drives them to be that isn't their action, it's their attitude. And the Christian life is in essence an internal deal that affects them, us outwardly. It is in essence an attitude. That's why the Bible, and it creates tension to even think about the Christian life as an attitude. But it's exactly what the Bible says. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of who? If you are going to be a Christ follower, if you are going to be named after his name, you don't have to sing the songs. You don't have to say the words. But you do have to have the attitude of Christ. It will drive, ultimately, who you are. This is what we admire in those who truly follow Christ. There's something different within them. And it drives them to make different choices, to respond differently to different people. The attitude of Christ is what we need to have. And by the way, there's another issue. You have to deal with this. Every word that ultimately defines true Christianity is an attitudinal word. Faith. Isn't Christianity faith? What is faith? An attitude. Forgiveness. Isn't Christianity at its core about forgiveness? What is that? It's an attitude. Yes, to forgive, you ultimately act in forgiveness, but where does it come from? Within. It goes further. Love. That's Christianity. Where does it come from? The attitude. Humility, acceptance, generosity. All of these are words that define Christianity. And what are they all? Every one of them is an attitude. And here's what's interesting. We love to pursue the actions of Christianity. Because they're easy to put on. But we're like the used car salesman. We're putting on love and we're putting on forgiveness and we're putting on joy and we're putting on hope and we're putting on peace and we're putting on contentment and we're putting on purpose. Isn't it great? The only problem is it's not real. Whereas it needs to be within. The Bible talks about when we open our lives to Jesus, he fills us with his spirit. And his spirit empowers us and his spirit guides us and his spirit moves us and remakes us and reshapes us. And how does he remake and reshape us? Look at Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the spirit, when he's in control of our lives... The consequences of his control in our lives is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against those things, there's no law. You don't need a rule for those things because they're not behavior motivated. They're attitude motivated. And if those are driving you from within, you don't need a law and you don't need a rule. You're going to make the right choices and treat people in the right way. And every single one of those characteristics is what? It's an attitude. We focus on abilities and actions, and they miss the point. 
because God creates within us the right attitudes. So since Christianity is ultimately, in essence, an attitude, we need to look at this thing. So let me kind of summarize it this way for our benefit this weekend. The attitude of Christ is something that cannot be put on. If I'm going to truly follow Christ, and if I'm going to have the attitude of Christ in my life, if I'm going to truly become a Christ follower in legitimate and genuine ways, not in manufactured ways, not in a, in a superficial positive attitude way. But in reality, I have to understand the attitude of Christ is not something I can put on. It's not superficial. It's not clothing that I can just put over the reality of who I am within. In fact, I can't do it at all. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you've been saved, redeemed, restored, forgiven is the idea here. For it's by grace you've been made one with God again, restored in your relationship with God again. Saved from your guilt, forgiven and given new life. It's by grace you've been saved through faith and attitude. And this faith, this attitude of faith, this attitude of trusting God instead of trusting yourself is not from yourselves. You can't put it on. It's God's gift to you. He has to put it in you. It's not by works because it's not something you put on outside. It's something that he puts on inside. This is why none of us who follow him can boast. This is a big deal. When we try to put it on, it may work in the short term to fool people. And, and look at, come on, I'm a human being and I know what it's like to put on on the outside things to convince you that are real on the inside, but they're not real at all. I've been pastor a long time and this is exactly where many of us are here. We're here and, you know, we're at, how are you doing? Doing great. Praise Jesus. But that's not where we're living. We're putting it on. But it's not who we are. If we're going to become truly followers of Christ, we can't put it on. This is important. In the long term, though we might fool others, we'll never fool ourselves. And there's nothing worse than others believing we're filled with joy, but us being filled with despair. There's nothing worse than others believing that we're motivated by love, but we're really driven by hatred and competition. There's nothing more empty than people believing that we're living for God, but on the inside, we're not even sure we know Him. There's nothing more unfulfilling than pretense. And yet, this is how many people live out the faith. Could this be how you're living out the faith? If you're here and you're searching, or you're a believer, and you're frustrated by the whole thing, I want you to know, Jesus didn't call us to live lives of pretend. But if you're trying to put it on like religion teaches you, you're going to do, at best, pretend work, and it's going to make you ten times more miserable. It can't be put on. And, and when you try to put it on, you certainly won't fool God. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 22 and 23. Many will say to me on that day, this is Jesus talking, many will say on the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, look at all the things we did for you. Man, we put it on, baby. You have to know Greek to really get into the passage like that. But He says... Uh, I can see someone standing for the judgment seat of Christ. Come on, baby. You know, yeah, sure, that's going to be happening. But anyway, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? I mean, look at all we did for you, man. We put it on. And Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to tell them plainly, I never knew you. 
You put it on, but you never let me put it in. Away from me, you evildoers. You see, the Christian life doesn't start with action. That's religion. It starts with attitude, and that's not something we can put on. Which leads me to the second thing. If we're going to truly become followers of Christ, truly experience life and life to the full, then we have to understand that the attitude of Christ is something that must be ultimately put in. It's not put on. It's put in. He puts it in us. It's not something we manufacture. It's something that he purchased for us by his life and then his dying on the cross for sin and then his raising from the dead so that he might transform our lives. In fact, look at how 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. A new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. If all you're doing is pretending... Nothing new is there. You're playing the same game humans have always played. You're trying to manipulate a different reality. But it doesn't change reality. But Jesus came to literally transform us on the inside. And my great burden is that too many of us are adopting the message and the words on the outside. But we're not letting him put the reality on the inside. We have to stop putting it on, and we have to start letting him put it in. But I do know how difficult this is, because it's so odd. What's it look like in the real world where I live? Not in the churchy world, you know, not, not in here where we can paint the perfect picture and paint the perfect story, and we all leave feeling good, but then we hit the real world and it doesn't work anymore. What does it really look like? Well, we thought we'd just give you one story that we think you might relate to, because it's based on reality but it's still experiencing the attitudes of Christ. Watch. So this is like old home week. It is. Because, first of all, uh, Debbie, you were my assistant for 14 years. Mm -hmm. 14 great years. Uh, you had three children. Mm -hmm. uh, give us their names and how old were they? Chris was 12, and our girls Kelly and Robin were 8 and 4. Tell me about Chris as a 12-year-old kid. He loved basketball. He collected... Uh, Michael Jordan shoes. He was very creative. He loved, he loved to draw. He was a sweet, sweet boy. When uh, you, you first became my executive assistant, it was like not long afterwards you were delivered some of the worst news a mother could get. Mm -hmm. well, what happened? Well, when Chris was late elementary school, he started walking very clumsily. And initially we started some testing to see if it was an inner ear infection. After a series of tests, um, a doctor took me aside and he asked Chris to wait in the hallway while he took me in a room and he talked to me about what was happening to my child and that he had a terminal illness. He would probably live maybe to 25, maybe 30. And then the next thing he asked was, do you have any other children? Because this is hereditary. What was this disease? It's a form of muscular dystrophy, and there's no cure. You just treat symptoms. Now, he asked about your other children. What was the result of that? Well, as I was driving home with Chris, I was trying to think, okay, do my girls exhibit any of these symptoms? And already I could see that Robin exhibited some of those symptoms. And so even before we had an official diagnosis for her when she was 12, we already knew. So you see every dream that you have for... Chris, and then times two when you consider Robin. Talk to me first about what that did to you. 
I got to a place where I, I didn't know if I could trust God if I wanted to trust him. Because I, I knew him long enough and well enough that I knew what he could do. You know, I go to work every day and I talk to people about your love and who you are and what you're capable to be. And then I come home to my child who's dying. So many people look to circumstances for joy. Mm -hmm. And having worked with you for 14 years of this run, you brought sunshine into my life, into our office, and the people that knew you here, even though you were going through this. And, and so this isn't something you just put on. This had to be something that was within. Where did you get the joy from as you move through this experience of loss? I mean, that went all the way to your son actually dying at 26. I wish I had a really clear answer for you. I think the main reason is because I had a history with God. Even when I questioned him, even when I cried out to him, even when I was mad at him, he still loved me. He loved me for where I was at because I belonged to him. The power of story is it gives us something to identify with. Mm -hmm. And not only do we have the story of your journey with Chris, but you're still a person on the journey with Robin. And people are watching this story right now who are in a place that is beyond their comprehension to handle. How can they process this? What would your advice be to them? I would say that probably the most important thing is to live in real time. God is still aware and God loves you where you're at. If they're not in a relationship with God, that's where they need to start. Because He is the author of life and He gives us the joy that we need despite our circumstances, even though there have been some really hard days. As I say, God is still faithful, for which I'm so thankful. So what's it really look like when we have this attitude of Christ within us, guiding us, determining our choices, and setting us free to experience life and life to the full? What's it really look like? It looks really messy, really messy. It looks like everyone else's life from the outside in many ways. Disappointments, hurts, brokenness, loss, a lot of minuses. You see, the difference isn't ultimately formed on the outside. It shows itself, reveals itself but it's really formed on the inside. Debbie's story is a story of someone whose outside experiences were horrific, still are in many ways so discouraging. The reason I admire her so much is because her inside story is so different. How about yours? It's not something you put on. It's something you let him put in. David was a man after God's own heart, the Bible says, an Old Testament king, but he had a period of time when he was messing up everything on the outside. He messed up big time. And as a result, he was far away from God, but no one could tell on the outside. I mean, he's still 
pretended worship, pretended love, pretended everything was great, pretended joy. But he even writes that inside, it was like all of his bones were breaking. He was so filled with misery. And I actually know from personal experience and believe right now that many of us are where David was, where we're putting it on. Whether it was ever real in the past or not, we're putting it on now. But ultimately, he said these words in Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right, a steadfast spirit within me. David had to come to the place where he goes, I've been putting it on, but I need you to put it in. I believe many of us are right there, and this is our moment. So before I finish this talk, would you bow with me in a word of prayer? And as we bow, if you're a believer, kind of messing up like David did, let him back in, would you? Let him back in. Ask him to create in you that pure heart. Renew the right spirit. But if you're here, it's very possible you've never invited him in, that you've been thinking Christianity as religion has painted it is about putting it on. You need to let him put it in. I want to invite you to pray with me right now and take my words and make them yours. Just say, God, I'm a mess inside. And I need you to change me. I've sinned against you. I'm so filled with guilt and shame and emptiness. And I'm tired of pretending. So Jesus, I'm asking you, based upon your death on that cross, to forgive me. Forgive me. And based on your resurrection, give me new life. And I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed with me, I really want to help you connect in your relationship with God. And what we've done is we've put together a little letter about next steps that you can take in building that relationship, but we just need to know you prayed with me. And so if you're on one of our live campuses in our program that we handed you is this little connection card, and you just rip it out, and on the front... You fill it out, and on the bottom it says that you prayed with me. Check that off. There are boxes at every exodus you're leaving at all three of our campuses, and we'll send you this information about next steps. And if you're watching Church Online, so glad to have you. But there's a what next button right where you're watching. Hit that, and we'll do the same thing with you. But here's how I want to finish. If we're going to really have true Christianity, since it's in essence an attitude, then we have to have the attitude of Christ. And the attitude of Christ isn't something we put on. It isn't something... Uh, that we can do ourselves. It's something he has to put in. But then, once it's on the inside, as Debbie's story revealed, once it's on the inside, the attitude of Christ is something that we have to let out. We have to let it out. We have to then allow it to be the reality of our experience. In fact, the reality is you won't be able to help it. The truth is that if we're going to ultimately experience true Christianity, and it's inside We won't be able to shut it down. This is why Debbie, in the midst of her darkness, could come in and still give joy because she couldn't keep it in because God was wiring her for it on the inside. Look at Matthew 7, verses 17 and 20. Likewise, every good tree, it bears good fruit. It can't help it. Every bad tree bears bad fruit. It can't help it. So we can recognize what's on the inside by the fruit. What's on the inside of you? We need to understand, everything in this world is not positive. This world is filled with all kinds of minuses. 
but we don't have to experience it as a minus. Because Jesus can fill us with what only he can put in us, the characteristics and qualities that are worthy to be admired. And when they're inside, they will come out. Here's my encouragement. Since it all boils down to a choice, am I going to put it on or let him put it in? Let's just do it. Let's just choose it. Let's let him do it in us. And when we do, what happens is we change not just our lives, but the world. Look at John 13, 35. It says it just as it is. It says, by this, all will know that you're my followers. If you love one another. That's not something we put on. That's something he puts in. Let's let him do it. Let's live it. And light really will shine in this world of darkness. So glad you were here. Have a great, great week.